in a world where everyone knows everything. <laughs> yeah, right. One dad stands below everyone and yells, I know nothing. Please welcome. Please welcome. This is the Dad Who Knows Nothing podcast. Hey, well, welcome to the Dad Who Knows Nothing podcast. Very excited today. We have Ethan Brown. Now, Ethan Brown's a recent graduate of Boston University, where he studied environmental analysis and policy and film and television. And he's got years of comedy writing experience as editor-in-chief of both his high school and his college satire publications. So the pandemic came along and he decided to merge these together and start a really cool podcast called The Sweaty Penguin, where he talks about environmental and climate change and things like that. Subjects ranging from fracking to maple syrup to jellyfish. And he does it with a, a great amount of humor. So so happy to have you with us, Ethan. Glad you could give us a few minutes of your time. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So talk to me about The Sweaty Penguin, this podcast about that deals with environmental uh, topics that are in the news and on everyone's mind. So like you said, The Sweaty Penguin is a comedy climate podcast. We are presented by PBS's national multi-platform climate initiative, Peril and Promise. And what we do is, um, so our Friday episodes, uh, we call them deep dives for the penguin pun. We take a specific environmental issue. I will do a comedy monologue on it, sort of loosely inspired by like a John Oliver, Hassan Minaj late night comedy style monologue. And in it, we'll discuss what the issue is, how it affects not just the environment, but also the economy, health, justice, etc. And then we'll talk about some solutions. And I'm never advocating specific solutions. I'll just kind of discuss the pros and cons of them and let you think about them. And then in the second segment, we'll interview an expert. Uh, so we've had professors on our show from all over the world. As of today, we got our sixth continent, so I believe around 15 countries. So we've got a really great slate of guests there. And then uh, we more recently started doing a more newsy episode on Wednesdays called Tip of the Iceberg, which um, I give some kind of critical thinking context to whatever the big climate news story is and then answer a question from an audience member. Got it. Well, that sounds like a great way to have a podcast. Uh, I, you know, I've been able to interview a couple people from Australia, one from South Africa. So technology is great in that way. We can, and you know, get them on the same on the same call and be able to have those good conversations. Yeah, the time zones are fun, aren't they? Yeah, they are. That's <laughs> for sure. So let's talk about climate change first. That is probably. Uh, no pun intended, right? It's a polarizing issue, right? Uh, I'm trying to make a few penguin jokes myself. <laughs> so, you know, you have these this divide of liberals, conservatives. Climate change is not something that's only being faced by one side of the table, right? How do they find common ground on that? How, how do people do that? So the kind of premise behind my podcast, which I think is where this all starts, there's a difference between what the problem is and how we fix the problem. So what the problem is, climate change, is straight science, right? We emit greenhouse gases. These are types of gases that absorb the infrared radiation from the sun and warm the planet. And we can see the effects of that, wildfires, hurricanes, heat waves, cold waves. 
uh, droughts, etc. Certainly this summer has seen impacts all over the world in that regard. So that's just fact. That's science. We can see that. But then there's questions of what do we do about that? So we talk about mitigate, mitigating climate change that could be reducing greenhouse gases. We talk about adaptations. So how do we deal with these existing and future impacts? And we can even get into some fancy geoengineering stuff, talking about carbon capture, talking about uh, solar geoengineering. So there's all different types of solutions. And then in terms of how to implement them, you have to think about policy, you have to think about the private sector. Um, so there's all of those conversations. And there, there aren't necessarily right answers. Certainly we can say, let's do something. And that's kind of where I come from. But after that, there's a ton of room for debate. So that's where I think I would like to see the conversation go away from what is the problem and over to how do we fix the problem. And I think there is opportunity for common ground there. But first, I'd just like to see everyone get on the same page about what the problem actually is and agree that it's an important one. Yeah, I think that second piece is is great. You know, I I, I think that it's long past the point where people don't at least, you know, to a person say, okay, there's a problem, right? But it's how important is that problem? And that that I think is we still got a long way to go, unfortunately. So you th you think you think about climate change and you think about it being an issue that can create a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. How do you make it funny? Because you've done a good job of that. How do you, how do you do it? I mean, aren't hurricanes hilarious? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. Um, I mean, like I like you said, I came from a background of satire writing for several years, and I think satire was always about how to take something that maybe is frustrating or maybe annoys us and turn it into something funny. I think that our podcast isn't necessarily satire occasionally we'll say some satirical jokes, but I think that gave me just the confidence that something unfunny could be funny. So how do we do that? I think in a number of ways, we do a lot of just silly pop culture references or just kind of observational jokes. We'll do a lot of analogies that I think are funny. We'll occasionally have a funny story as it pertains to a topic. For example, I always think of, we did an episode on succulents and there's this uh, illegal succulent trade around the world where people are poaching rare endangered succulents and selling them for up to $1,000 on the black market. And we saw this story of a woman who got arrested in an airport who had like 900 succulents uh, attached to her body in stockings. And I think a lot of them were seeds, but I was just imagining like going on an airplane and you certainly aren't losing the armrest battle with that. <laughs> um, so things like that will come up. Now more and more, we're also doing a lot of funny bits. So in our last episode, we were talking about the Gawar oil field in Saudi Arabia, and we saw the statistic that in uh, 2070, at the current rate of warming, Saudi Arabia would be too hot to inhabit. And that, of course, led to a too hot to handle parody called Too Hot to Inhabit, where some of my team members got to try out their UK accents. So things like that, where we can take an issue very seriously, but also try to have some fun and break it up a little bit. Taking a cartoon sketch of this woman in, in the in the airport trying to uh, have all these uh, succulents attached to her body. 
Yeah. So it's, it's taking the pieces and you mentioned a couple of the people that, you know, are kind of inspiring. John Oliver is always good at that. He always talks about something that's so horrible, but then, you know, able to make it funny. So that's good. So we talked about record numbers of these weather events happening, wildfires, obviously raging in the Western part, record heat temperatures that we're facing right now. Where's the optimism? Where's the hope in all of that? I think that first off, there's this conception that we are starting from ground zero with climate action, and we aren't. Uh, since the U.S. emissions peaked in 2007, they've come down a bit since then. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but I think around 15-ish percent. The coal consumption in the U.S. has gone down 58 percent since 2007. And if we look globally, the Paris Agreement, which was signed in 2015, when they were drafting that agreement, the trajectory was that we were on track to warm by about four degrees Celsius by 2100. Today, that's down to three degrees Celsius by 2100. So is that enough? No, three degrees Celsius of warming would still cause major, major issues, but it's better than four. So I think that we have been making progress largely due to the fact that the cost of solar and wind and batteries have been just dropping tremendously over the last uh, decade or so. And we're, I mean, we're making progress. So I see optimism in that, in the fact that we're not necessarily starting from ground zero. We just need to pick up the pace quite a bit. Also, I think that there is a lot of opportunity with climate solutions to not just help the environment, but also help other things we care about, like the economy, like our health, like justice, like national security. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released a report over the last year, and in one of their uh, working groups in the report, they did a comparison between, I believe it was 42 climate solutions and the 17 sustainable development goals that the UN set by 2030. So these goals are things like end world hunger, end poverty, um, gender equality, innovation, things everyone wants to see happen. So they compared 42 climate solutions against these goals, and they found that of those several hundred combinations, only 12 of them had trade-offs where working on the climate solution would hinder that goal. All of the other ones, either most of them had synergies where they would actually work together. There were a few that had kind of a combination, but only 12 were a clear trade-off. So I think when we talk about balancing the environment and the economy or balancing the environment and something else, that's not actually very accurate. We can improve the climate while improving the other things we care about. And that gets me actively excited to be working on climate. And there's also a sense that science has determined that, and it's been proven that if parts of the environment that are broken or that have been broken or are suffering because of things that man is doing, even if that gets stopped for a short period of time, the environment has a great ability to heal itself and to actually repair itself. When you think about any of the oil spills that had happened, and yeah, there was a massive cleanup effort, but a lot of it was the environment itself, just giving it time to repair itself. And so, uh, you know, that that's a that's another thing, progress and 
continuing to figure out ways to leverage that to be able to keep that progress going. Absolutely. There was actually some very recent science that so for a very long time, there was this concept called the carbon lag, which was basically saying when we emit a greenhouse gas, it stays in the atmosphere for a certain period of time for carbon that can be like a century. And so carbon dioxide is there. It's absorbing solar radiation and it's warming the climate. And you think about, OK, if we stopped emitting carbon dioxide today, the carbon that we had emitted yesterday would still be there for the next century, still absorbing solar radiation. So there was this idea that even if we mitigated climate change, we got greenhouse gas emissions to zero, we'd still see the climate warm for a number of decades. Just recently, there was science from uh, Michael Mann, who I believe he just moved to the University of Pennsylvania. He's kind of a legend in the climate space. He basically figured out that Yes, that effect exists, but at the same time, we have oceans, we have forests, we have all these ecosystems that will be sucking carbon out of the atmosphere, which would have a cooling effect, and the warming effect and the cooling effect cancel each other out, and within about three years after we stopped emitting carbon, the climate should stabilize. So this was really groundbreaking science, kind of challenged a lot of the perceptions climate scientists had before, and even myself, that was what I was learning in college. So that's exciting too, right? If we get emissions to zero, we sure we have to adapt to whatever damage we did, but we're not gonna see the climate warm even more from there. So that's really exciting. And that's another example of like what you were saying, the environment is pretty remarkable at healing itself once we take a step back and stop messing with it. Yeah, and stop uh, cutting down the forests that are, if anything, they're there to kind of help us. Get rid of yeah, all of that stuff that uh, we don't want. So I think the other thing that, you know, when you look at climate change from an individual perspective, I think a lot of people think of it as like, oh, yeah, it's this huge issue. What can I do? There's nothing really that I'm going to do that's going to make a huge impact, right? I mean, most people have got it in their heads now to recycle, right? That's something that all of us make that part of our daily lives. but. Can, is there anything individuals can do to have any type of impact on climate change? There's a big debate among environmental folks about what the role of individual action is. I think some people say it is an individual issue and everyone needs to chip in. I think some say talking about individual solutions at all is just giving a pass to corporations. There's kind of some extreme opinions there. I think it lies somewhere in the middle. So I think that the way individual action can be most effective is if it promotes community level change. And with that philosophy, I sort of put together my five, uh, I don't like to tell people what to do, but I guess tips for individuals interested in helping the climate. So first would be to find low hanging fruit, things that you can do that don't feel too difficult to you. Um, so for example, I love meat. I'm also allergic to peanuts and other legumes. So I probably couldn't live on a plant-based diet. But if you're not a meat fan, you don't have to eat meat. That can help. If you are, fine, don't worry about it. Things like uh, fast fashion is a big contributor to climate change. I personally am not a fashionista, so I don't buy new clothes too often, and I'm sure that lowers my carbon footprint. If you do love clothes, then it's okay. But I think it's kind of like dieting. If you take 
too many actions personally, then you just kind of fall off the wagon. But if you do the things that are easy to you and you feel happy about that, then that can make a small difference. The second thing would be to uh, uplift others who are doing good things. Um, in the U.S., there's all the vegan bashing, obviously, uh, with clothes. You might get made fun of for bad fashion. Uh, you can run down the list. But ultimately, I think if someone is taking an action that is positive for the climate, I think it's worth respecting that. And I think that for me, like, I do eat meat. I have so much respect for people who don't. I can't even imagine doing it. So, um, so yeah, I think that if you are respected for taking those steps, uh, there's more motivation to do them. Third would be to do your research. So things like, for example, buying a new electric car versus if you have a reasonably fuel efficient car and you drive it to the end of its life, using your current car would have less of an environmental impact than buying the new electric car because of how much input it takes to build a new car. So there are things like that where we see the trendy solution, but ultimately there are often simpler ways to have an even bigger impact. And I think our podcast does a pretty good job of trying to give you that information, but also just doing your own research can answer some of those questions for yourself. Uh, number four would be to use your voice. Um, a lot of people see that as activism or volunteering, but that wasn't up my alley. I feel like I love nuance too much to put anything on a sign and feel comfortable with that. So I started this podcast. I loved writing. I loved communication. I loved comedy. So that was what worked for me. So whatever you feel fits your interests, you can find ways to use your voice. And then five, and to me, this is the most important, maybe a little controversial, but talk to someone you disagree with. And it doesn't have to be climate related. It doesn't have to be political, just even debating movies or sports or whatever can kind of bridge those relationships and maybe help foster common ground. I think about how um, polarized the United States has gotten. And in order to actually address climate change, you need Congress to pass something. And not just that, but you need it to stick through administrations that will probably flip between uh, the two parties. So there has to be agreement. There has to be common ground. And I think that just talking, even if you don't have to be friends, you don't have to agree with someone's worldview or even think they're a good person, but just talking, I think, can be a big step toward fostering common ground. Oh, that's a great list. And that number five, I, I don't think we can hit on that enough. Uh, there used to be this phrase, agree to disagree. I don't even think that exists anymore. <laughs> Individuals, like they can't even, if you disagree, you're on this side and I'm on this side, you know, and there's a, there's a wall, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I, I don't understand that line of thinking because that's how we grow is at the very least, if I understand where someone's coming from, and now this is a person that has done their own research and has come to a thoughtful conclusion on a, on a, on a particular topic, I can at least respect the fact that they have done their work, they've looked at it, and they've come to this decision. But it doesn't change the way it shouldn't change the way I look at them as an individual. Now, the one thing that I think is the caveat to that, right, are the ones who just follow 
and just jump on board with whatever is said. And they haven't really taken the time to form an opinion by doing their research, right? There's a little less respect there, I think. But if someone has taken the time to really think through a matter and they come to a conclusion different than me, okay, we can agree to disagree. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of space for learning through those conversations. I think that a huge reason that the Sweaty Penguin has worked and had the amount of success that it has to this point is, so I came from uh, the town of Bethel, Connecticut. The town is historically a blue collar town, but it's in Connecticut. So it's about 50-50 Democrats and Republicans. My high school I went to had, I went to a boarding school in Massachusetts, but there was a good mix there as well. And I specifically would try to have conversations with people from both sides of the spectrum. And I had friends from both sides of the spectrum. And it wasn't a, I'm trying to learn about politics or convince anyone of anything way. I truly just wanted to learn from them and understand other people's perspectives. And I think that in creating this podcast, I can read a script and say, okay, what would this friend think? What would that friend think? And when I first started just writing articles about the environment, I would actually usually send them to a liberal friend and a conservative friend. And if they both liked it, then I'd feel pretty good about myself. So I think that there's room to learn from those conversations. Obviously, I don't end up agreeing on everything, but I certainly have my perspective shifted all the time. And that has certainly been a major benefit as I've tried to communicate these issues to a wider audience. I need to be open to learning myself if I'm going to try to educate others. Yeah. And humor does a good job of, you know, breaking down maybe that conflict that happens in those, in those discussions. And I think, and I think a lot of it is there's, there's an uncomfortableness, right? When you realize that this person doesn't agree with me and it's sometimes difficult to get through that and say, well, that's okay. And, you know, both speak your piece and be able to still, you know, move on with a with whatever form that relationship's going to take. So very cool. So we talked about a little bit about foods and beverages. You talked about going vegan if you could, you know, and obviously that has an impact on a benefit. There's benefits with the climate change, anything beverage wise food, anything else, foods and beverage where someone could make a change there that would, that would help in this. So there's so much nuance to it, and we do a lot of episodes on foods and beverages. I think that as much as the individual, how can you change your diet, is just kind of hammered again and again, the biggest things with food are changing the production process and also looking at food's climate vulnerability. That's a big one. So with the production process, for example, we did an episode on milk about a little less than a month ago, and we had on Dr. Ermias Kibrab from the University of California, Davis, and he is one of the leading researchers to try feeding dairy cattle a seaweed additive, which basically goes into their gut and prevents the chemical reaction that produces methane in their stomach that they would then belch out. So methane is a greenhouse gas. It has a 28 times the global warming impact of carbon dioxide over a 100-year period, and cows will belch this gas, and that is a 
contributor to climate change. Um, I think we hear the cow farting in the news all the time. Not exactly what it is, but something like that. So this seaweed additive can actually slash those emissions significantly and has no detrimental health impacts to the cow or anything. And you only need a little bit of it to have this effect. So there are things like that that you can do. There are things that apply to other crops, like doing um, planting shade trees, planting uh, other crops in a rotation, doing certain land management strategies, all these different strategies that can lower the carbon footprint of our food without any of us actually changing our diets. On the climate vulnerability side, we have all different issues depending on where it's grown in the world, what the food needs, but you can look at any different food and say, all right, here's how climate change is affecting this food. We are already seeing now some of the inflation that we've got from food prices is due to extreme weather events causing crop failures. So that's a big thing too. And I think more often than not, we're actually talking about how climate change affects the food, not how the food affects climate change. So those two things I think are really important to wrap our heads around, way more important than the individual diets. And I hope that any of you who are interested in food will go back and listen to some of our many food and beverage episodes that explore those questions. Nice. And when you're talking about the cow, see that that's where I think the form of government should be taking a huge role because if that's tested and that's found to be true, what this scientist, what this individual has found, then that should be subsidized and provided to every farmer in America, along with an easy way to, to get that into uh, their normal schedule so they can get it inside the cows as fast as possible. I mean, that to me seems like a simple way for the government to throw their full force behind and be able to implement a change. So that was a great example. And let's be honest, cars, cows fart, farting is funnier than them belching, oh, so <laughs> much better. All right, so you mentioned the one episode about milk. Any other episode that surprised you the most out of all the ones that you've done? Episode that surprised me the most, I think we've done some recently since uh, I used to have like a routine answer to that question, but so I think that Okay, I'm still going to say if we go back to our vanilla episode, that was back in 2020, actually. So about 70% 70 to 80% of the world's vanilla is grown on the island of Madagascar. And that has created a really wonky market because first off, vanilla uh, orchids take about three or four years, I believe, to ripen. And because of that, when there's changes in global demand for vanilla, so like in quarantine, everyone started baking, vanilla demand doubled all of the sudden, these farmers can't just suddenly put more vanilla into the market. So that creates this really volatile price dynamic. Then add in Madagascar's getting slammed by cyclones every year, which can just wipe out a bunch of crops, and that plays in. So we've had this weird situation where... I believe it was in 2016, 2017, where the global price of vanilla was higher than silver. So that's just mind-boggling to think about. And if you think about it from the perspective of the farmers, so in a year where vanilla prices are that high, they can come into a massive amount of money. 
And as a result of that, they're in this very rural, underdeveloped part of northeastern Madagascar. They will, um, they don't have banks up there, so there's not a place for them to save their money necessarily. And there's also a lot of crime, so they don't feel comfortable necessarily sticking it in a shoebox under their bed. So they'll build better houses, they'll put up solar panels, they'll get satellite TV, um, they'll send their kids to better schools. But kind of once they start running out of things to do, there have been stories of these people getting sports cars and bicycles and even some urban legends where they'll like take money onto chameleons or boil it and try to eat it. Or there was someone who just paid a mango uh, stand at a local fair and took the mangoes and just started smashing them. They're bizarre things that they just try to get rid of their money by whatever means possible and uh, because they don't want to deal with the crime. At the same time, this has created a whole thing where um, people will try to steal vanilla from farmers and either the farmer will have to shoot the criminal down or vice versa. So there have been some deaths as a result of that. So really, really bizarre dynamic there when you don't have banks to actually store your money. And then in the bust years, it's obviously a hell of a lot worse because they don't have money. They're living this <laughs> maybe a better lifestyle if they did uh, come into one of those big booms. And uh, so that can be really difficult as well. So I think that obviously if there were some more infrastructure, maybe that could be handled a little better, but certainly a very, very surprising topic to me. And I, it's an early episode, so I cringe to hear my voice back then, but certainly it was a really interesting topic and I encourage people to check that out. That's crazy, man. That I will definitely go check that one out. I, I, I started listening to the one on milk and uh, I'll go finish that one as well. So yeah. very cool. So a lot of times, my last question about climate change really talks about, you know, you mentioned the economy for these farmers there in Madagascar and how they've, uh, when they get a boom and how that actually brings about negative impacts for them. But everybody usually will say, you know, climate change is environment versus economy. And they're, you know, almost like the left and the right, they're, they're going to butt heads. It can, is it as simple as that? Or is it, or is there, or can the environment be, you touched on this earlier, but can the environment be helped while still promoting a vibrant economy. I'll take you a step further. I'll say it's flatly wrong. <laughs> I mean, I think that um, when we think about climate, we're very often talking about conservation. And if you think about things like having more energy efficiency, being able to cool our homes with less air conditioning, anything like that, we're talking about saving money while we're talking about helping the climate. Uh, if we go a step further, we can look at things like solar and wind and batteries, which have had their prices come down tremendously over the last decade. Uh, now, solar and wind are very often cheaper than the cheapest fossil fuel alternative. It is cheaper to build a new solar farm or a wind farm than it is to operate an existing coal plant today. So there are things like that where you can see, all right, if we invest in this climate solution, we can create jobs, we can have cheaper electric bills, and we help the climate at the same time. So there's basically every single episode we do, we find things like that. 
sometimes it's a case of, all right, there's this seemingly environment versus economy thing, but really it's a case of this market has an oligopoly, which is making it not a free market. And then there's price gouging and then there's these. It, so things like that, they come up all the time. And I've found ev episode by episode, the environment and the economy are so much more aligned than we realize. It can get a little wonky in some cases, but I'd say 90, 95% of the time, it's a no-brainer for us that the environment and economy are in line and helping one would help the other. All right, last question. How'd you come up with the name Sweaty Penguin? So my dad actually came up with it. Um, it was back going into freshman year of college. I actually did a blog called The Sweaty Penguin for a little bit that was just satire articles. And I kind of did it for a few months and then set it aside. But my dad thought of the name and he always says that I'm more than welcome to use it for whatever I want. I just need to tell everyone possible that he was the one who came up with it. So there you go, dad. Did he ever tell you how he came up with it or what was he? I'm assuming he was thinking global warming, the penguins up there in the in these cold climates actually sweating because it's getting too warm for him. Yeah, I think we were just kind of talking about what would be a fun name for a environmental satire thing, and it kind of came to him. I think it works great. Definitely, yeah. you remember it, so that's all that matters. Absolutely does. Well, thank you very much. This was a great conversation, Ethan. I appreciate you giving me a few minutes of your time. So again, the podcast is The Sweaty Penguin. It's out there again. It's, it's, uh, it's sponsored by PBS, so you know uh, there's some good content out there. He also has a website, thesweatypenguin.com where you can uh, see some of the articles and some of the other things that are out there about different topics. Really good, successful podcast. And I'm very happy that you uh, took a few minutes to uh, come, come on to my podcast. Do you have any parting thoughts for my listeners on what you'd want them to take away? Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I guess I'll do my obligatory plug again. You can find us on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. We're on pbs.org slash peril and promise. Uh, you also gave our website. If you want to support the show even further, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sweaty penguin. There we've got merch bonus content, early access. Uh, so you can do a lot there. And the other thing is if you have climate questions, please send them to us for our tip of the iceberg show. We love answering our audience's questions. So you can do that via Patreon, via social media, via email, via our website, literally stalk me on Facebook. I don't care. Just send me, <laughs> send me those questions and we'll be sure to answer them on the show. Yeah. What I loved about the subscriber options, it's also different, uh, species of penguins. So depending on what level of penguin you, you opt for, that's, uh, it's all named by penguin species, which I thought was a great, a great, uh, addition to it. So very cool. Thank you very much, Ethan. I appreciate your time. Thanks for giving me a few minutes of your time. And thanks for uh, all the great work you're doing, not only talking about climate change and making these things happen, making these discussions happen, giving some information out, but also doing it with a little bit of humor, which is always fun. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on our journey to learn about various topics. If you'd like to get in touch with the dad who knows nothing, connect with him at the dad who knows nothing on TikTok and Instagram or dad knows zero on Twitter. If you have a moment and you like this episode, 
drop us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a great day and enjoy your journey through this game called life. <laughs>